Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Watkins-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. Hi, I'm Henneka Watkins-Porter, and this week I'm extremely pleased to be partnering with a very good friend of mine, April Sprint of the Pouring Into Your Business podcast for an episode swap. So April has been a guest on the Entrepreneurial You podcast, and I've also been a guest on hers, Pouring Into Your Business podcast. So when we first spoke, I fell in love with April's story of generosity, which is what episode 199 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast was all about. And April will be airing my episode 200 with Seth Godin, which was taped with a live audience, which April was also a part of and was very engaged. So in this episode, this one that we're swapping out that we'll be airing on the Entrepreneurial You today, April speaks with Aaron Odman about Harvard secrets for purchasing a business. So when you listen to this episode, you'll discover the most powerful way for you to impact 2021 personally and in business as well. You learn how to research and buy a business, a successful business to grow and why your gut sometimes trumps all the data in the world. So pleasant listening. Are you tired of grinding every day without ever getting there? Do you need someone to pull you aside and refill your passion, your hope, your drive? Welcome to Pouring Into Your Business, the show that invests in you and your success. Today, you'll start uncovering your genius and find a world of possibilities with your guide and creator of the generosity culture, April Sprintz. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Today, I have Erin Odman with me. And candidly, Erin is one of the smartest people I know. I like to call him a rocket scientist because he graduated from the Naval Academy with a degree in aerospace engineering. And he also happens to be a former Marine instructor pilot of the MV-22 Osprey. And from there, he picked up a Harvard MBA, helped scale a multinational fintech company that had a $7 billion IPO this past summer. And now she's the CEO of PSS, a company that partners with educators to create meaningful, effective learning experiences for more than 2,000 schools nationwide. So my commitment in this podcast was to bring on people who are more interesting and smarter than me. And Aaron, I definitely did that with you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> well, April, thank you for that kind introduction. Um, I'm excited to be with you and, and open up this conversation. This was so fun. So Aaron and I were colleagues a few years ago. And what I always was just so struck by, Aaron, is how humble you are and how even though in many occasions I've been in the room with you when you were the smartest person in the room, you never played to that, never made that 
something that was even known to other people other than by the way you express yourself. So getting to say all the things that you are was really exciting because if I were you, I would lead with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when you lay it out, you know, it's like you look back and you've got a lot more done than you, than you thought. Right. I think you and I are probably people that are always oriented to the future, right? Looking forward, like, okay, there's this mountain, but it is worth taking some time and taking stock and looking back at, you know, the mountains behind you. Cause I mean, in a huge way, they kind of got you where you are, right. And defined you in some ways. And, um, it's, it's interesting. We've done some cool things and I'm, I'm glad our cross, our paths crossed, um, in our last adventure, right. A high growth entrepreneurial got to work with tech, got to work with people. So it was so fun. Now, you stop me if I'm not allowed to tell this story. But what I love when we work together is just the different and unique viewpoint that you always brought to things because you are very analytical. You see things from a probability standpoint where I am completely go with your gut. And I remember us sitting and talking about the likelihood of startups like Encino, where we were, mm-hmm. them being successful. And you knew the probability of any company doing a venture like that being successful. Do you remember that conversation? I do vaguely. And I'm sure it was born out of a being overly analytical, right? Everything's, you know, both a, a curse, a gift and a curse, but then B, I just come from business school where I just m- kind of made it my mission to like try to distill like what worked, why did things work in some of these businesses? And so the numbers for failure were just so stark in front of mine. But yeah, I remember that. It was amazing to me because you had the the actual probability, you just off the top of your head, well, you know, April, on average, this is the kind of success rate companies like this can see. And I was shocked because I don't analyze things in that same way. And I thought, yeah, I feel like it's going to go gangbusters. And you're (laughs) like, that's great. What is that based on? And and that's where I was like, oh, uh, my gut. Like, I kind of feel like it's going to be great. (laughs) Right. But it's like, but you were right, you know, um, it, it turned out you were right. And the statistics are, you know, are just numbers, right, to help you make decisions. But at the end of the day, you've like got to turn around and say, well, you know, there's a 70% chance of rain. I brought this coat and this umbrella and it didn't rain, you know, so I just, <laughs> I made just my Just in decision. case. Right? I can't be mad at like the weatherman or the umbrella for it not having rain. Um, I mean, you you were right. And to like even pull the curtain back a little further when I was like leaving business school, you know, it was after the military, went to business school to kind of kick the can down the road. And then I was like, okay, now I got to get a grown up job. And the opportunity at Encino presented itself and it was based in Wilmington it's coastal Carolina. There were other opportunities, right. In bigger cities, maybe more mainstream companies. And I just kind of told my, my wife and friends and I was like, you know, I think they have enough money to like make a go at it for two years which had kind of, that met my criteria for like, let's do it. I was like, it probably won't work. When I, when I say probably the basis, the base word of that is probabilistically it won't right. work. Um, but you know, it's good people. You know, I'd met enough, I'd met enough, you know, amazing people we worked with. They had enough for two years. So I figured I wouldn't have to move for two years. <laughs> and, which in the military, that's forever. Right. So yeah, right. just that's come out full, of that. That's a full tour of duty. Right. Um, <laughs> And then, so you're like, okay, then I'll play the game to see the next card, you know, that's Dell. That's kind of how I looked at it. And so people always, all the time were like, remember when you said that thing was probably never going to work? 
And but that's you know, not what you said. That is so it's interesting when you clarify it, right? You're like, well, the probability is against it, but I'm here, right. which right. shows I believe in it. Of course. And I just loved that conversation because I feel like every opinion that you express is very well thought out. It is very backed by fact, if you will. And since it was so opposite of the way that I tend to operate, I was drawn to it. And just that made you seem even more genius to me, regardless of the fact that you also, I think, are a genius. I don't know if you have a Mensa card and you probably wouldn't admit it if you do. (laughs) So one of the things that you also talked to me about, and it actually gets us to this journey that you're on now was what you learned when you were in business school about acquiring a business. And I'd love for you to share that with the listeners, because if you remember, you and I stayed after some training and you had me completely captivated as you wrote this out on a whiteboard. And I still have that photo in my phone today. (laughs) Well, yeah, we were whiteboarding it. I remember it. And you're being so generous (laughs) listening to you rant about it, but, you know, I basically went to business school and, you know, really had no, I had no expectations other than I knew I was really interested in technology. And of course, you know, being the 21st century, there'd be plenty of those opportunities, but I didn't know what it would look like. And so as you can imagine, like business school tends to skew a little younger. It's a bit more trendy, kind of follows these trends. And the trend du jour is tech and startups and, you know, software companies, the Facebooks, et cetera, the Ubers. And so everyone was kind of there in the lab thinking of the next Uber to invent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there was these two older, grumpier professors that were like, you know, you guys are all supposed to be smart because you're here in grad school, but you you, you guys are chasing the dumbest opportunity possible. Like what what are the odds any one of you, you know, will... We'll, we'll invent any one of these unicorn type companies, right? You know, stop unicorn hunting, you know? And he kind of like yelled at us for 20 minutes. And <laughs> then we're like, what, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? And he's like, do you realize that there's over a hundred thousand profitable businesses that throw off actual cash flows all around and you walk by them every day, you probably use their services or your parents use their services or you frequent a business that uses their services <laughs> And, um, you know, they're owned by baby boomers who are retiring at record pace and they've got to find some way to transfer all this wealth. And, you know, you guys aren't that smart, but you're probably smart enough to run these things. And, you know, instead of going and doing this and, you know, having a lower risk, you know, for economic success and getting to work on fun business problems and help people and change their lives, you guys are like trying to invent, you know, magical things that don't exist yet. And so, it made me take a look and stop and say, you know, I guess I had this, you know, a little bit of a career in the military before. So I was a little older, had family, had kids, you know, I was kind of watching my parents age and wanting to be there, you know, a economically for my family and thought I could be, it wasn't, it's not a burden. I'm saying it's just a consideration. And then, um, you know, kind of going back to the, (laughs) the probabilities that you talked about. And so anyway, I, I ended up, spending over a year studying under these guys, this kind of little known concept of looking at a very small business that is functional, but, you know, for one reason or the other, the owner needs to sell and putting a deal together to take over that business, running it, 
we're probably 20, 30, 40 years younger than the owner. So we can probably modernize a bit, but for the most part, just don't break it. Run a really good business blocking and tackling and, you know, living your life that way. So it was, it was really a shift. It was like a paradigm shift for me that I'm still kind of unpacking. So I'd love to meet these gentlemen because I'm so impressed with this idea. And I I was at the time, if you remember, but also in my mind, I'm imagining them as the two old guy puppets on the Muppets. Do you know who I'm talking about? Like who were up in the rafters just because of the way that they just told you guys the truth of how it was. And this is it. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. They were like, you know, they were kind of, and still are, I mean, they still are teaching this class, but they're kind of like that you know, contrary, these two guys were the contrarians on the faculty. Now their model's been proven out because over the last five or six, I don't know, maybe eight years they've been doing this. A lot of us took their advice and have gone on to have, you know, more success. And we go back to school, we, you know, this little network, but they still are kind of the contrarian guys there because they're, you know, telling you to take the path less chosen. They're, um, you know, they're not, they're, they're not pointing you towards, big banking or consulting or big, you know, big companies right. that are popular at these schools. So yeah, they're definitely like that. And they were hilarious. I mean, their class, half of their class was a comedy show, which I'm only convinced maybe they were only half in on. Like I couldn't tell if it was intentional <laughs> or they were just like, this is what we're going to say because we want to. I love that. Well, it's funny because I don't know to what extent we talked about it after the fact, but I was I was all in. I was like, this is great. I'm going to do this. I'm going to find one of these businesses. I'm going to buy it. This is going to be my next move. And what was so funny is you painstakingly described to me that the the place that the majority of the work is done is in finding one of these businesses that is perfect to do this with and really researching and really spending the time to find the one that's the right opportunity. And I laugh thinking about this because Aaron, I was all in on this for about 13 days. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I think I'm going to start a company of my own. These are hard to find. (laughs) So tell me about your process of finding your, your current company. Cause you spent a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, you, you, it is a search. Like it's a bit of like, you know, almost like a monk lifestyle, you know, you're going to go on a bit of a journey if you take this on. Now, the one thing to keep in mind is the supply is greater than the demand. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, the statistics still kind of bear out that there are more of these. And I say successful firms, like, of course, I don't, we don't know all of these firms, right? Or the people that run them. But if we just go by, hey, they're profitable, they generate a certain amount of cash, so they're sustainable, there, there are more of those than there are people looking to buy them and run them. Mm-hmm. So that, so that you always have to kind of remember that as like your North star, your glimmer of hope. But the fact of the matter is they're dispersed. They're fragmented. It's like, if you move to a new town, how do you find the best hairdresser or, you know, a new doctor? It's kind of word of mouth. You kind of got it, you know, try it out a little bit. You know, you might risk a little bit of hair. Uh, <laughs> But but you know they're out there. And so yeah, I, I started my process in the spring of 2019, actually. Okay, so and it didn't take you that long. In my mind, you were yeah. looking the whole time I knew you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There, there's some truth to that because I, I kind of thought, well, you know, again, going into our last 
company it was, a, it was a high-risk startup, right? So I kind of said, well, I'm going to always keep my, my ear to the grindstone here in case of an emergency. <laughs> that, that opportunity took off. It really required a lot of all of us. And I couldn't, I couldn't search and even be, you know, somewhat mediocre at, you know, trying to fulfill my duties there. So I actually did put it down for a couple of years. Okay. So uh, you spent a year and what yeah. was your criteria? Can you share that? Are you, I don't want to take the IP of those. I still see them as Muppet gentlemen and I don't want to take away from how brilliant I think their idea is. It just really yeah. makes me laugh to think of it. <laughs> no, no, they, um, they wrote a book. So, um, yeah, they, they, they definitely wrote a book and whenever it makes sense, I'll either introduce you to them or you and your audience to their book, but, um, Ooh, go you know, for the, it. I, say the book and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So, um, the, the book is called think big Buy small. Um, awesome. I have it. I bought it. I read it yeah, in that right. 13 days that I was so committed. That's right. Yeah. That, that book was the whole course, you know, we just kind of spent two years kind of unpacking it. Um, but uh, and I still like reading that book just from like, you know, a business, if you like business, you know, intrigue and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, for me, as, as the startup grew, I said, okay, I get, wow. I can't believe we had this experience. It's amazing. It's awesome. Um, and I still had that itch though, you know, to do, to go off on this journey. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to say, well, spring of 2019, I'm going to start to search. And there are, there are entrepreneurs that search up to two, three years, because you are, you're right. You, you nailed it in that, you know, 75% of the battle is won or lost in like what company you buy and certainly like what, what price you paid for it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the studies of this kind of bear that out that like, you know, the, the company matters you know, almost as much as the entrepreneur going after it, if not more in some cases. So I started searching, calling business brokers. Again, the beauty of this, the reason why you can, you know, buy a business, let's say a business that um, has a million dollars of cash flow is a round number. The reason why you can buy one of those for $4 million, which is just four years of cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why you can do that is because the market is so fragmented. It's a liquid. It's not organized. It's an inefficient market. There isn't one website you go to where you can find all of these in the country and rate and rack them against each other, right? Like there is, there is a market. There's a website you can go to if you want to, you know, buy stock in a car company, right? There's like right. 10 car companies. You go to S&P, you know, you go through all their financials are there. It's, it's, it's highly efficient. That's not the case with small business. Um, you know, financials are all a mess and all over the place. So I, I honestly started searching April, 2019, the company I ultimately acquired, I found May of 2019. And we talked numbers, did some diligence, you know, I was kind of actually more suspicious that like, wow, I'm, you know, am I falling in love too quickly? with the first <laughs> And so we actually didn't agree on a deal until September of 2019. So four months later, and then is by the time you pretty typical, it, is that what most people experience? Because buying a business isn't like buying a house. And I don't know if folks know that, like the closing yeah. is not in 30 days. And No, no, no. The, no, the closing process is like six months in of itself. I mean, yeah, you, you, the buyer and seller could come to terms and agreement by the time you get the bank. And if you want to use SBA, you know, small business administration loans, 
you know, which are favorable, but, you know, it's kind of getting the government involved. Yeah, the, the whole process, even by, after you shake hands, could take another four or five months. And it turns out that's what happened because we closed on the business. Um, I like to tell people we closed on the business on March 4th. And then on March 24th, you know, the government ordered all my customers to close their doors. So, um, yeah, what a great time to start a business for those folks who are feeling challenged by COVID. Mm. What about if you have a brand new business that you're now the leader for and you're the brand new leader? Oh, man, you talk about like smartest guy in the room and all that stuff, which, I, you know, I it's a huge compliment because I never, you know, feel that. But my friends were like, uh, hey, so you bought a business 20 days before they show, you know, that sells to schools. You bought it 20 days before they uh, shut down all the schools, man, you're, you're genius. Your timing is great. Um, Timing is like that, right? I can think of times where people have said, wow, you bought your home at the bottom of the market. You're brilliant. (laughs) Nobody knew it was the bottom of the market. Nobody was luck. Right, right. Same yeah, people, this. yeah, same thing. Yeah, people forget, you know, the bottom of the or the market or top of the, those are all things that you only know in the hindsight, um, right? You only know in the past. Absolutely. Um, but you know, the truth of the matter is like, I, I don't know, I just never feel like, oh, you know, I, I've, I've heard some people say this and it's a phrase I don't understand, but they're like, yeah, you know, we're supposed to find out about X, Y, Z tomorrow, but knowing my luck, I'll probably won't get anything or like, you know, just, just expressions of like, not only do I have no luck, but I have luck and it's all bad. I just, I I never understood that. And I never feel that way. So I didn't feel like the chips were against me. I didn't feel like, you know, the chips were for me. I just, it, it was the hand we were dealt. Now I say all that to say that like COVID in its own way has presented these massive opportunities that, I would have never seen, I would have never chased, been, you know, some of the things we're doing in the company, we would, I can tell you, we would not be doing right now if it were not for COVID making us slow down, making us look at things from a different angle. So I already think the business is going to be better off for, you know, focusing on what we're focusing on, which is, which is mostly customer success and serving our customers better. 100%. Well, and you get into something that I'm super passionate about, which is just mindset. The Mm -hmm. way that you choose to look at things, I think completely impacts the outcome. The person that you're saying is, you know, I'm, it's, I'm probably not going to get anything. I'm not lucky. And I find that so funny because I have spent most of my life always assuming I was going to win the door prize, Mm -hmm. right? Like I just, I'm probably going to win this. And then if I don't win it, it's like, oh, well, not this time, but how many times it happens is amazing to me. And I think that any entrepreneur, CEO, business owner like yourself can impact their experience of anything by looking at it the way you did. Okay. So we have this situation. What are we going to focus on? What are we going to utilize this for? And I saw you do some pretty amazing things in your business with taking that time to be internally focused, like you said, in a way that made you so much more valuable to your clients. I'm reminded of that scene, you know, in Forrest Gump, right? One of the best movies of all time (laughs) where I think it was Forrest and Lieutenant Dan, they just bought a shrimping boat. Um, and they were going out shrimping. They were terrible at it. And then this massive storm comes in. It's, it was, I guess it's a hurricane, you know, um, but they didn't have like, for whatever reason, they didn't have a ton of warning. So it just seems like this mythical storm blows in 
And of course they almost die and lose the boat. But in the aftermath, it takes, they were out to sea during it. And then a lot of the boats were back um, in the docks. But if you're tied up to the docks, it like ruins the boats, you know, it gets slammed up against. So at the end of the storm, they were like the only, one of the only shrimp boats left. And so they be, had this monopoly. Right. And of course the business takes off and, you know, it's a massive success, bubblegum shrimp. And it feels like COVID kind of felt like that, where it was like, okay, I just took over the business. I don't know much about it. You know, haven't even started any of my good ideas of how I'm going to make it better. And this storm rolls through and, you know, some of our competitors, you know, they, again, were older people who hadn't sold their business. Um, And they said, you know what, we're just going to fold up shop. You know, it's been good, but, you know, we're not here to rebuild after the storm. And for me, it just felt like, okay, I want to be like, you know, Forrest and Lieutenant Dan when this thing's over. And I just love be in it. A position, right. To be in a position to like, Hey, if nobody else is here to serve you, we're, we're here and we're going to serve you the best. And so we immediately kind of shifted into it. And honestly, with a lot of your encouragement and the vocabulary and language you gave us to say, okay, let's, let's stop and think about customers. I mean, we, we did not have much of at all, you know, a customer success mindset or infrastructure prior to even five, six months ago. Well, I think that's pretty common, though, in a lot of businesses that feel like they are a product-based business, even though I would argue every business is a service-based business. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't find that very uncommon. And I, I love the way that you started thinking about during the pandemic, okay, well, how can I help? And there's actually something else that you did. And I want to 100% give you the credit for this, because one of the things I talk about with the generosity culture is pouring into your your people, your clients, your community. That term, mm. Aaron, pouring in came from you. Mm. You said it. I was saying invest in, give value to. And anyone I spoke to kind of grabbed their wallet because they <laughs> really assumed I was talking about cash. And what I meant was, no, no, something so much more valuable than cash. Actually, I need your time. I need your yeah. effort, your focus. And you did a really good job at coming into a company where people may have not felt poured into before in any area that they've worked for, whether it be PSS or companies before, and really making that a priority. And I'd love for you to talk about that because I've seen it have a tremendous impact on your business as a whole and then individually on the folks that make up your business. Yeah. Yeah, that's... a. Um... I mean, that's, that's a key value. And I'm trying to think back to like, if there was one singular moment where it's crystallized for me, and I, I don't know that I can think of like one big aha story, but you know, my, it starts like with my parents who I felt poured into, um, you know, poured into me from a very early age. And then even as a kid, I had, I had some appreciation of like, they're not just being, you know, nice parents. Cause you know, your parents are supposed to say nice things about you. Like, you know, it's not just that, but it was like, Oh no, I think they really believe in me. Right. And they're, and they're really going to invest in me because, you know, again, it, it, it seems almost cliche to say, cause they're your parents. Like what, what else are they going to do? But, but it's almost, it was just felt really genuine. So then that was like empowering. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, heck, if they think something's, I can do something, I guess I can probably do, you know, I probably have some talent. I could do something with this. (laughs) And that just kind of continued 
you know, through school, we probably have all one or two teachers or guidance counselors. Hopefully we could point to that played that role for us and then continued right into the military and so on and so forth. And so I just, I've always felt very sensitive to people pouring into me and being so appreciative of it. Um, and then just saying, man, I don't want to let them down. I want to try to level up. And then it's kind of, so that's like the thing, right? That's what you see, but then mm-hmm. it's also like the negative, you know, or the absence thereof that you, that stands out as well. And so like, I know many people who I would say it's like, man, they have as much talent as I did or, or anything, you know, we all do, but you could just tell it's like, man, nobody poured into them like intentionally, you know, nobody went that extra mile and, you know, has, that's pretty, that's pretty bad effects. Um, so do you think there's you know, the, anything folks can do when they haven't had that experience to pour into themselves? I do. I do. I think, I think there are things, I mean, I don't have this, I don't have the silver bullet, right. But it's like they're between, well, certainly with, you know, with like social media and internet now you can find some role model, you know, that speaks directly to you, whether it's, they have a similar background or they came from the same place, or you just really resonate with their story and they're doing great things. So in that way, the technology is obviously great because it gives people a voice to like impact and motivate others that they wouldn't you know, normally interact with, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously the flip side or the downside of technologies, there's just a lot of kind of negative voices too, trying to radicalize folks. So I don't want to necessarily say, oh, run to the internet, don't solve your problems. (laughs) But but the biggest thing, April, is like even the the reason why I think this is so hard, like pouring into yourself or invest is that like, it has to get jump-started somehow, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, it can't, like, okay, so you and I are to the point where we're, we value this and we're like, all right, let's pour into ourselves. So now we're just fueling an engine, but how do you even get that engine started out of the abstract, right? If you have no idea how awesome you are, or you haven't been told that, you know, or you've been beaten down, like, how do you, how do you even know where to start? Why would you even believe you're worth pouring into? You know what I mean? That's, that's a question I, I still wrestle with. I feel like that's where it's incumbent on the people who get it, the people who know, to pour into as many people as possible. Because being poured into changed my life. And how many other folks can you impact that way? And it is just, it lights this fire. And I find it to be one of those things where as soon as it happens to you and you recognize what it is, the first thing you tend to start thinking about is how can I do this for somebody else? Of course. Yeah. Isn't that like, isn't that an amazing thing about human nature too? It's like consistently, if you've had kind of a revelation or something amazing happen to you, um, you're like, oh, oh, you know, I got to tell so-and-so or I, you know what I mean? Like this person could really, you know, if it worked for me, it's got to work for them. You just start thinking about other people just as an aside, what a great part about human nature. But, but you're right. I think if we pour into as many people as possible, so one of the people at my company is like, she's, you know, they're very thankful for like the new tone at the company, us pouring into people and they really get it. You know, they're like, look, you're, I get you're intentionally doing this. And I personally haven't had this in my career. This is amazing. I want to thank you for it. And I almost even have a hard time like accepting any thanks for it. Cause I'm just like, well, <laughs> what, you know, what else would I do? You know, like we work together. Right. And um, this is table stakes. This is table stakes. Our success is tied together. You know, you are a person with talent and abilities 
in and of yourself. And certainly that stuff that I don't have, I've got stuff that you don't have. All right, let's just do math. Well, you know, let's start adding it all up. Uh, you know, I, why, why would I not invest in you? Right. So I think yeah. you take it for granted because you're a great leader, Aaron. And if there's anything that I found in, in all my time in, in different industries and with different clients is that being a great leader isn't to be taken for granted. And it isn't something that is as common as I would like to see it be in the marketplace. I think there's mm. a huge confusion between managers and leaders or bosses and leaders. And I can always tell a leader, regardless of their position in an organization, based on the fact that they think the way that you're talking about, like, why wouldn't I do this for you? Why wouldn't mm. I spend my time to help you be better? That that makes the sum greater than its parts. That's important, but that's not always the way that folks think. So the more me personally, I strive to get the message out there. Hey, this isn't just the right thing to do. This isn't just cool and awesome. You'll make more money. Like your company will be more successful (laughs) because it proves out. Right. And I don't care if somebody starts being a better leader because they want to make more money. I'm fine with that because I know they'll get they'll get on it later on. They'll say, oh, this is also amazing feeling and everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be picky about the path that anyone gets to it. Right. You just want them, you just want them to get there. And to me, I guess, I, yeah, I mean, certainly there's like a moral aspect to it, but it also just makes your point just makes business sense. Right. Like there's, I guess there's so many ways to get to it that I'm just like, like this is, this is a logical conclusion. I don't know, for most like frameworks and way of looking at the life at life, whether you look at it from, you know, moral like moral, you know, morally or financially or just being a good neighbor. But you're right. I guess there, I mean, there are, it is rare and we've all worked for um, people who are more managers than leaders and some people who aren't even that, quite honestly. So we've all worked for it. And so, I mean, there's even just a practical sense of like, okay, you know, man, I didn't like that. I didn't like the way that felt. I'm not going to do that. If I'm ever in this position and that's like, don't we all say that at some point we're like, all right, if I'm ever in this position, I'm not going to do so-and-so. Well, then it's kind of like, you know, you kind of got to walk the walk then. Oh yeah. If you are ever put in that position of leadership or influence, you, you gotta like at least honor that thing you once said. Well, and I think you learn more from the bad ones than you do the good ones. I mean, you, you definitely model the good ones. But I feel like there's such a contrast when you're someone who cares about leadership and helping people and benefiting them. I feel like when you experience it, the opposite, there's just this visceral, at least for me, fire that's like, this is not happening like this. I'm going to make sure this is this, this and this. So to me, even those experiences weren't something that I would have signed up for. I wouldn't trade in a million years because I think I can be better for others because of it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of those? Um, you don't have to like, name names. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're saying experiences that, you know, were painful or that you were trying. You're just like, what is this? I'm not doing this. I mean, I, I can remember having those experiences even in school as a really young kid not necessarily with the aim to be a teacher, but thinking if I was a teacher, I would do this. You know, earlier you asked about my criteria for what business to look for. And people would always ask, you're looking for a company. Oh, what kind of company? You know, like, I don't know, like a profitable one or one that's not too terrible. And they would always look at me odd, like, 
you know, well, what do you mean? You know, you're in technology now. So what are you going to get into? Like more software or more? And I was like, I don't really care. You know, it's, the business has, there's these financial benchmarks, you know, there's these characteristics of the business. But again, because it's non-obvious and it's small business, I could, I wasn't super specific. Right. And I did kind of portray like I was agnostic, which, you know, in hindsight, I never was agnostic, right? I wanted to do something that, um, work I could get behind and get excited for and get proud of. And so fast forward, here we are at PSS. We sell exclusively to schools, K through 12. So we work with teachers and principals and kids. And so what you saying, you know, oh yeah, I remember being in school thinking, oh, I would do this differently. Now that I have school-age kids and I work for a company that's a supplier to schools, like I think I spend... 80% of my day, just thinking about like the education system, the quality of it, um, the infrastructure of the institution, the people in it, namely administrators, principals, teachers, and then ultimately like looking at it as a big ecosystem for kids and like what grade would I give the ecosystem? And honestly, like I wouldn't give it a great grade right now, you know, nationally, you know, I think it's, it's a system that's got a ton of potential. The people in it are amazing and are doing it for all the right reasons, right? Like no one's like, oh, I'm getting into teaching for the money. Right. You know, they're doing it for, but um, some somehow we've kind of gone astray with, with the institution and, and how we structure a few things. And ultimately the kids are the ones that are hurt. Like, you know, these people, again, of endless potential who should be poured into. Here we are at PSS and we have the opportunity to, again, not break the company, you know, do the right thing, grow it all those sorts of things. But we also really have an opportunity to um, provide some tools which would which can impact teachers and give them back some of their time and mental energy, which, you know, will flow into the flow into the classroom, <clears throat> hopefully in pretty productive ways. So. Which is amazing. And I think this is something that's important for any person, whether they're in the C-suite or they're an aspiring leader or they're an employee, is to try and understand where and how your business impacts the world, because I'm always looking for that thing that'll help pull people out of bed instead of I'm really regimented. There went my alarm clock. I'm going to go to work or in today's day and age, I'm going to go sit in front of my computer at home. (laughs) What is that thing that can make people inspired and excited? And in your line of work, I just think of the fact that whether you're a company like you are that services schools or you are that teacher, you're that principal, you have more of an impact on the future of our world than anyone because you're spending time with our children and they are the future of the world. Well, yeah, we we had this conversation at work. It kind of smacked me in the the head. And so the next day I was like, hey, guys, you know, we talk about, you know, because it's election year, this climate control and there's all these, you know, healthcare, obviously now COVID's more, you know, an acute health issue, just all these things, all these problems, uh, you know, energy and law and justice. And I was like, look, none of this gets fixed if we don't have like an education system we can all believe in, like at the base of all of these problems, you know, there aren't like mass discoveries made. There isn't great art produced, good music. None of this stuff happens. Like without a healthy education system. So we are like, you know, at a great position to like have an impact. And it feels kind of crazy saying that as a group of 20 people, like based in Charlotte. Um, So I think about that a lot as a leader, like I genuinely believe it. So it's easy for me to say it. Like, I know 
I don't feel like I'm lying or feeding anyone a line, but I do understand like the cynicism, I guess, that says like, eh, maybe not, <laughs> you know, like maybe we can kind of help a little bit in these like four, five, six, seven, eight states or randomly. But um, so I try to think of ways to like make the case that no, no, like that is, you know, they're almost one in the same, like, yes, all 50 million kids aren't using our products, but right now a million of them essentially are impacted by our product. Why don't we just get to work making that 2 million and then 5 million, you know, then just, keep, you know, keep going from there. Um, and not that the number is the biggest thing, right? Because like if we impacted like 12 kids, one kid, you know, that'd be great. I think impact does like compound in ways that are probably hard to see at first. And it, it is on us as leaders to communicate that. Absolutely. It's funny. I use this example and it's a dated example, but I haven't seen one that's as good. But years and years ago when I was a kid, there was this Breck commercial and it's a shampoo. And I remember it because it was a lady with pretty curly hair. And she talked about, I'm going to use it and I'll tell my friend and then we'll tell our friends and then we'll tell our friends. And it just exponentially went out. And every time someone talks about, you don't know what kind of impact something's going to have. I think about that visual (laughs) of the squares getting smaller and smaller, but there being more people that were aware of in this case, shampoo, but in any case, any inspirational idea. And I think that that's something that we can't underestimate because that's where the excitement happens, right? That one kid that you made such an impact on and now they're changing the world, those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we, we, we have to, as a company, I mean, do literal and tactical things to surface those success stories, right? One, you know, cause it impacts sales and marketing and purchasing decisions, but two, and I would argue probably more importantly, it like, impacts the internal sale and message and narrative because I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm one of those people that fears like the alarm clock getting out of bed thing. And we've all worked those jobs and you know, we may even have short seasons like of that in the future, but overall by and large, I think we should be trying to engineer a life. That's not that. And so, yeah, that I think those success stories are important internally to motivate people and really get the best work out of ourselves and, and our teammates really. Absolutely. All right. So I think I just heard a buzzer that said that (laughs) we are near the end of our time. (laughs) And I I love that because I want to make sure and ask you one more question, because I think this is really important. And that is all the things you know now, all the life experiences you have, if you were standing in front of a million, literally a million leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and you got to give your one best piece of advice. What would it be? Wow, that is a that is a great question. All right, now that like I'm listening to all of these podcasts right till the end because I'm hoping you ask that question, to everyone. That's that was an awesome, impactful one. It's probably the idea that unites you know you and me and has been a lot to us. Or I say us as a company this year is guard your mindset. And oh, by the way, you know maybe if you're talking to certain rooms, you know particular entrepreneurs or leaders of that sort of thing, maybe you can make the statement that the argument their mindsets personally are probably, you know, generally biased to be optimistic and positive. But I would go a step further and say, well, hey, if it's not, now is the time to take assessment and work on your mindset just as you would your fitness. Um, maybe, maybe before you work on your fitness, right? But then if we check that off and say, okay, we're all good, on mindset, I would then say now your responsibility, our responsibility as leaders 
and people who know better is to go out and inspire others to take stock of their mindset and for us to influence with, with really positive ideas and impact other people's mindsets. I mean, that's, that's kind of been one of the major themes for me this, this year. So if I had to give that speech or give that advice this year, it would be focused on, on us paying attention to our own mindsets. That's beautiful. I love that. And you know, I think that's great advice because I don't think there's anything more powerful than our mindsets. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. You are amazing. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours and I really appreciate you investing the time to pour into this podcast and our listeners. This is awesome. April, thanks for starting this and thanks for uh, thinking of me and, and having me. Just a, just a quick audio check. So across the street. Yeah, what just happened? <laughs> it was um, pretty crazy. The sound of it. I was like, what? That's not the air conditioner. What is that? Are we being beamed up? You're going to go hide in the pantry? I would love to know what I had said a minute ago. But that's okay. <laughs> the alarm clock getting out of bed thing. We've all worked those jobs and... Overall, by and large, I think we should be trying to engineer a life that's not that, you know? Absolutely. All right. So I think I just heard a buzzer that said that (laughs) we are near the end of our time. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Entrepreneur You podcast, where we had an amazing episode swapping out with April Sprints of the Pouring Into Your Business podcast. Make sure to visit hennicoartisporter.com for the show notes page where you can find out how to get in touch with me, Aaron, or April. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Yes, it would. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode where I will be speaking with world-renowned transformational speaker, Lisa Nichols. And here is your point of hope for this week. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6 verse 9. We needed to raise capital, but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing? or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange.